Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I'm one of your hosts. There are two other hosts that are joining me today, of course. Anna. Good morning. And Daniel's son. Good afternoon, guys. So before we start today's episode, I just want to say, like always, we do not run any ads on this show or take any money from any corporations. So if you'd like to help us out, then there's a few ways that you can do that. One of the ways is Patreon. For only $5 a month, which is just 16 cents a day, you can sign up to our Patreon and get an extra episode each week. These Patreon episodes are exclusive to members only. Today we released a Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over Sandy Hook. Also, we have several more episodes already locked and loaded for your listening pleasure, such as the Ouija board, Giants, Glitches in the Matrix, the 1985 Philadelphia bombing, Nexium Cult, Disney Darkness, Isaac Cappy, McMartin's Satanic Preschool, Clinton Body Count, FEMA, and much more. In total, as of today, we have over 25 extra Patreon episodes, which you get access to all of them for just five bucks a month. Another way to support the show is through merchandise. Just teleport on over to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com. We have hoodies for the winter season, beanies in stock. We also have t-shirts, hats. I just wanted to say that the money that we do get from Patreon and our merchandise always goes to bettering the show. And another thing, we know times are really tough out there, so we just want you guys to know that if you can't afford a shirt or a Patreon membership, but you still want to help us out, then a written review on iTunes would seriously help us out a ton. If you don't want to leave one, though, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. Also, one last thing. If any of you would like to reach out to us, then you can shoot us a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on the contact button, and there you can find our email addresses. So, today's episode is Theories Thursday. So how Theories Thursdays go is that we each pick our favorite conspiracy topic of the week, we don't tell each other about it, we research it, and then we take turns telling uh, our topic and what it is and discussing it. Um, another quick announcement I want to make before we start. Today's episode is the last episode of this season, which is season two. We will be taking a short break. We'll make an announcement on our social medias, and we'll also release an announcement episode that talks about what's coming up on season three and what you can expect and when you can expect it to uh, arrive. So be on the lookout for that. Um, if you're on Patreon, we will still be pumping out an episode each week. So if you're missing us on the regular episodes and you're like, man, I need my fix and I can't wait for season three, go sign up to our Patreon. It's only five bucks a month. You get access to all of our past episodes that we have on there, which is a lot. Boom. All right. Well, I guess let's get into today's episode. So who starts it off? Who wants to start it off with their theory? I will love to go first. All right. Well, I'm excited to hear about yours because I have no clue what it is. So lay it on us. What is your theory for this week, Dan? Well, first off, let me ask you guys. Do you own a duffel bag? <laughs> duffel bag. The, you know, at uh, my job that I just recently started, the nickname they gave me was duffel bag. Oh, gosh. I don't know why. So 
I think it's because you're easy to pack. Oh, my God. Ooh. I do have a duffel bag, Dan. So this theory, well, I wouldn't say theory, this mystery involves a red duffel bag. It is the body in the bag. Ooh, instead of body in the box, body in the bag. Body in the bag. All right. I don't know. I guess I have a thing about bodies and something. Okay. (laughs) I am not a serial killer. We all have our fetishes. (laughs) So on Monday, August 23rd of 2010, a codebreaker that worked for the government communications headquarters in the UK by the name of Gareth Williams didn't show up to work again. He worked for the Secret Intelligence Service of the UK, MI6. And one of its employees, if they don't show up for about a week or so, they get a little worried. Well, he's missed work for about a week now. No calls, nothing. So it caused some issues. And then they finally decided, you know, we'll send, send some people over to his pretty much a security service flat. Like they have like, I guess, their own building for people that want to stay there and stuff. So the service flat is located in London where he was staying. They had to make a forced entry into his home. And what they found was a red duffel bag with a padlock on it sitting in the bathtub of his home. In the bathtub? In the bathtub. Okay. So they're just like, okay. When they got the bag open, they found the deceased and decomposing body of Gareth Williams. In the duffel bag? In the duffel bag. How small was this guy or how big was his duffel bag is my question. Dude, he was stuffed in there. Well, Wow. Was he in pieces or was he whole? He was whole. He was whole. Must have been that little Chinese guy from Ocean's Eleven. He might have been that small. I didn't actually see like how big he was. Or he was really flexible. But yeah, so oddly though, he was stuffed in this bag or placed himself in this bag. He had no injuries on his body. And even more odd, there was no indication of him struggling against an attacker or trying to escape from the bag. Even though padlocked from the outside, the key was underneath his body in the bag. Whoa, wait. He was padlocked in the bag. So the, in the he bag. was in it. The key was underneath him, and there was a padlock on the outside of the bag. That's some Houdini stuff. Yeah. Okay. So obviously he got murdered by somebody. Well, that's, that's up for debate still. How's Weird, that right? for debate? Yeah. Because, you know, they did their usual crime scene investigation. They fingerprinted the bag, padlock, the rim of the bathtub. No fingerprints were found. And he wasn't wearing any gloves because he was completely nude in the fucking bag. Okay. So there was no sign of a break-in and nothing was missing from the flat. The heat was turned on in the flat. It was in the middle of the summer. So this helped speed up the decomposition process of the body. You know, it's starting to look like a murder. Yeah. Well, toxicology examination showed no trace of alcohol or drugs. An initial postmortem proved inconclusive. They're just like, we're not sure what's going on here. That's strange. Yeah. So there was a couple that left this, left the same building. So they investigated them thinking, no, maybe these people killed them or something, but they just lived at the building. So they were pretty much ruled out as a suspect. The coroner, Dr. Fiona Wilcox, she was critical of the police police's handling of the investigation. Officers in the Metropolitan Counterterrorism Branch, whose role was to interview witnesses, failed to take formal statements and withheld information from the senior investigating officer, Chief Inspector Jackie Sabire. Dr. Wilcox also criticized the handling of Williams' personal belongings in his work locker, including an iPhone which contained deleted images 
of him naked in a pair of boots. Hot. <laughs> Were they cowboy boots? They didn't specify, but I, I'm going to imagine so. That's the only boots you would wear just completely naked with, I think. But Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Aaron's, when he does it, that's what he wears. So That's right. Then another iPhone that I guess was his personal one found in his living room had recently been wiped and restored to factory settings. Then, of course, forensics were criticized over their DNA contamination. Pretty much this whole thing like, has been messed up since they even entered the flat. The collection of DNA, the fingerprints, it's like everything's fucked. I think we didn't we cover this guy. We briefly talked about him on the Clinton body count episode, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Like just briefly touched on him. So I believe we touched on it and I was just like, sounds familiar. Like, you know, we'll just go with it. There, there's more to it, though. OK, woof. let's hear it. So they searched his computer based on his search history, browser history, whatever history. He wasn't into anything too kinky. Just the normal little little stuff here and there, I guess. So they kind of ruled out the, that he locked himself in the bag for some erotica type mess. How the hell would he do that, though? That, see, that's the thing. The corner was just like, this guy is a code breaker. He has some sort of intelligence. Knowing that he would not be able to unlock the padlock from the inside when the key's underneath of him, he's stuffed in a bag. So he more than likely would have taken a knife with him to cut the bag open to get himself out. And she's like, the conclusion... That he was alive, but when put in the bag, but probably suffocated very soon after CO2 poisoning or the effects of a short acting poison. Mm. She believed and was satisfied with the result of, and I quote, that a third party placed the bag in the bath and on the balance of probabilities locked the bag. So with her saying that, Scotland Yard decided to keep investigating the case for another year, only to reaffirm its original conclusions that... Williams was alone at the time of his death and had locked himself inside the bag and died when could not get out again. Which, how do you lock yourself? Well, you don't. No, that's, There's, that's, he was murdered by somebody. Sounds like somebody, sounds like the cops are trying to cover something up, is, in my opinion. Yep. So, now some years ago, new allegations arose that Williams had connections to the NSA and was helping track siphoned money out of Moscow by the Russian mafia. Cars registered to the Russian embassy were spotted near his flat in the days before his body was discovered. Then, how remember when I was saying like the whole, pretty much as soon as they entered the flat, everything was just fu- like messed up? Yeah. Evidence showed up that someone had broken in through the skylight the day after the body was found and tampered with evidence. Wow. But they're still saying that it was suicide. Oh my God, of course they are. Oh, man. Now, there is another theory. Well, there's two more theories. All right. Have y'all heard of the KGB defector Boris Kaprikov? No, I have not. So, of course, he's a KGB defector, and he's released a bunch of information, supposedly, about all kinds of crap. He even shed some light on on another scenario that could have taken place with this. He said that Williams had discovered a Russian agent inside the GCHQ after a bungled attempt to recruit him as a double agent by blackmailing him over his private life. What's the GCHQ? The Government Communication Headquarters. Oh, okay. Pretty much the Secret Service building. Okay. Hmm. And then, yeah, pretty much that means he had to be killed, and this was done by a short-lived poison injected into his ear, which the heating was turned up in the flat so that traces of the toxin would break down before the body was found. Damn. That makes sense. Yeah. 
Very creative, these killers are. Mm-hmm. What's the other theory? The final theory, and this is what the family believes, is that the Secret Service, the UK Secret Service, was responsible or had something to do with his death. Fearing that Williams might have been a whistleblower, they had to bump him off. And with their close ties to the police, they covered it up, which is why they think the fingerprints, DNA, and other evidence had been wiped from the scene as part of a deliberate cover-up, which, of course, it did seem weird. They didn't find nothing. And then uh, Foreign Secretary William Hogg signed a public immunity certificate authorizing the withholding of the details of William's secret work and exempting officers of America's National Security Agency and the FBI that Williams had worked with from testifying about anything. Hmm. So the Secret Intelligence Service Chief Sir John Sawyers also met with the commissioner of the Metro Police to discuss how the investigation would be handled and by whom. Okay. Active cover-up. So, yeah. So what do you think, Dan? If you had to stamp your personal opinion on this, what would it be? I am with the very last theory on it, actually, that he, being a code breaker, probably... I wouldn't say it was something he was actively working on, but something he probably worked on on the side just for like, hey, you know, I got this. Started working on it and then probably found out something that he probably shouldn't have. And he was probably showing it to probably the NSA or FBI. MI6 was just like, whoa, buddy, that's a no-no. You know what we do, but people that do no-nos put you in a fucking duffel bag and put you in your bathtub. You think they would be less obvious about it because obviously i mean him being locked in a duffel bag with the key under him is sending a signal out to somebody they don't purposely do that if they wanted to make it silent and they'd just be like oh it's a suicide he often himself, oh it's an overdose no more investigations but this i think was done purposely like this as a signal to somebody or something to be like hey you go down this rabbit hole this is what happens to you yeah. Like warning anyone who he had contact with about it. Yes. You know, I was thinking about this when you we keep bringing up the key under his body. When you buy a padlock, you often have two keys. So I think that they threw one of them under him, but they still had the second one to lock him in. And that's how he was actually still able to be locked in with the key. Imagine being able to feel the key on your back as you're locked in there, not able to get it. See, I try to think about it. It's possible to probably lock yourself in a duffel bag from inside. You want to try it? The, if Yeah, if we could try Get it. Get over here. I'll throw you in this right. duffel bag. Do you have a red one so we can match? No, I don't. But if the duffel bag, the, depending on the material it's made of, you know, it's cut, you could probably reach or like push out and kind of close it. So it's stretchy. You, yeah, kind of stretchy. Like, But it just doesn't make sense why he would do that, put the key under himself, and think that he could unlock it when there's no opening and he ends up suffocating. If he could have reached the key, he probably could have just slowly went at one spot in the bag with it and, like, started to slice it open. It would have taken some time. But as long as he weakened that thing, he could have probably shredded himself out. Possible. It's a weird story, but thank you for bringing that to us, Dan. It's a very interesting story. If he did do it to himself, that's a weird fetish. Bad (laughs) fetish. Yeah, it is. I have to agree. All right. Well, uh, I guess we're going to move on to the next theory. Who's it? Me this week? I mean, I can go in the middle if you'd like, because I think yours is going to be the most interesting one of the the day. Okay. Yeah, you can go if, if you want. Yeah, I'm totally down for that. We'll save mine for the last. Sounds good. I think that people will really enjoy yours, even though I didn't guess it this week. 
Mine's bizarre. I like and strange. Bizarre. Similar to Dan's. Very similar to Dan's. Ooh. Yeah. All right. So, you know, last week, Aaron, you did a story about a set of twins. Yep. And that was on the Patreon. That's correct. Yes. Weirdly, my topic initially was going to be about twins as well, but I switched gears and went down the 100-year curse to go more along with our regular episode. So this week, I am bringing the twins back. Okay. And I'm going to talk about the silent twins. Ooh, a different pair of twins, but yet silent. Okay. Yes. Super strange. We'll raise an eyebrow or two. So these girls were called June and Jennifer Gibbons, and they were born to Barbadian immigrants, Aubrey and Gloria. So they were actually raised in Wales in the UK, and everybody knew them as the silent twins. They only spoke to one another and sometimes their younger sister, and they had like this rapid fire language that really only they understood. Between each other? Yeah. So they had a different language that only they could understand? That they talk to each other with? That's how people interpreted it. Later on, I kind of go a little bit more into it. But yeah, they... Oh, that's weird. It's like code it's, for each other. And you know, it's not uncommon for twins to have their own language. When they're babies, for instance, they chatter back and forth. And you'll notice that twins uh, tend to know what they're saying. Like, they look like they're having a conversation, even as children, like baby, baby children. Uh, so as they get older, they learn the language of where they're from, and then they communicate in that. But if they never were to really be able to speak that language, they would adapt and create their own to continue to be able to communicate with each other. Before we had English, we were speaking mumbly things and gestures as cave people or whatever, and we still knew what we were saying. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So these girls were born on April 11th, 1963. And they were the only black family in their neighborhood, which caused them to be bullied a lot, unfortunately, for the time that it was. So when they were kids, from the get-go, they kept to themselves. They would mirror each other's movements, and they were always harassed, which made them get closer to one another. And uh, it was kind of sad for them, really. So if you know a set of twins, they tend to like to be alike. But the connection that these two had was different. Even being identical twins, they still did some odd things. They had this intense obsession with needing to always be together. They both, interestingly enough, had the same speech impediment. So that is what kind of led them to not wanting to speak to others, because they hated to repeat themselves all the time. So they just started to recluse themselves from other people. And even when they did repeat themselves, people seemed to not understand them. So over the years, they'd created their own language and started to only speak to one another. Even in school, they didn't interact with the class. The teacher would always say that they were super intelligent girls, but they weren't engaging with anybody, not even the teacher. So when they moved to Wales, they were 11 years old, and their attachment only became worse when they were in school. So the girls, like I said, never talked, and when they did, they were made fun of because of their speech impediment, but they also didn't even acknowledge anyone else. Like, if someone came up to them and called them and to get their attention, they would ignore them as if there was nobody there talking to them. In their minds, 
their sister was the only one who existed. Hmm. So the bullying was so bad for these girls that the school made an exception for them and actually let them leave early to try to help them avoid being bullied after they got out of classes. It got to a point where eventually the parents decided to take the girls to a child psychologist to see if they could help them. They were diagnosed with selective mutism. Now, selective mutism is a real thing and not necessarily uncommon in children. As the name suggests, it's when a person chooses to not speak for an extended period of time or in certain situations. Um, I have a quick little clip here of their mom talking about talking about their daughters. So we'll, we'll, talk, we'll play this video real quick of their mom talking about them, and then it'll go into June and how she talked about how she felt when people couldn't understand her. So we will go ahead and play that right now. June was one of the twins, right? Yes, she okay. was. Okay, all right. Well, they spoke what we couldn't understand what they were saying. And that's the trouble, and then when they knew that we couldn't understand, they went back in the shell, you know? How did it feel for you that people couldn't understand what you were saying? A bit frustrating, we had to repeat ourselves more often. And then we couldn't be bothered to repeat ourselves, we didn't speak. We left it. And they kept saying, what are you saying? What are you saying? And we just said, oh, you can't hear us now, you can't hear us never. So we decided not to speak, and we got into a habit of not speaking. I mean, you could tell that she does have a speech impediment, but for me, I don't have a problem understanding her. It makes it worse, I think, to have the accent on top of it. Like, a, Wales, a Welsh accent is pretty rough anyways, even if you don't have a speech impediment. So, after having this diagnosis of selective mutism, it didn't actually change the way the girls were. They didn't have any medicine for it or ways to really help them improve it. So, the school was like, I'm done. We've tried. And they were sent to a special education school which was actually able to focus more on the girls and work with them more directly. And with doing so, they actually learned a lot about them. The thing is, is that they never actually created their own language. They spoke English, but it was so fast, most people couldn't understand it, was paired with their speech impediment. Oh. Yeah. So that's to answer your question from earlier. So now when they're in their home, they weren't bullied and their family loved them, but they still chose to stay isolated. They would stay in their room, which they actually shared with their younger sister, Rosie. And they talked to Rosie and they played with her. They liked to play dolls and stuff. So we're going to go ahead and play a clip real quick of Rosie talking about playing with her, little sis her, her older sisters. Uh, we'll play that right now. I like playing dolls. I liked it. We used to do things on the tape recorder, do um, plays. Dress up in clothes and all that. Yeah, I do. I'll get back to it. I'm sure you won't do them. It's my dress. Thank you. Steps down the steps. And Gina, I pulled those off. Hi, Neil. So nice to see you. Hi, you boy. You look smashing in those clothes. You look lovely in that dress. And you can hear them talking and playing. And yeah, the audio isn't fantastic for them to really hear them as. You could probably hear them more clearly in person, but you can hear how their sister is different to them with the clarity in their voice. Oh, yeah. So then Rosie turned 11, and she was given her own room. By the way, I don't know if you guys noticed, but there's a lot of 11s in this document. 
They were born on April 11th. They moved to Wales when they were 11. Rosie now has her own room when she's 11. I'll bring it up later. So Rosie turns 11, gets her own room. After that, June and Jennifer stopped playing with Rosie just because she left the room. It's like, okay, that's not weird at all. Uh, The girls did actually watch TV, by the way, but there's a kicker to that. They would write their mom a letter, their parents a letter, saying what they'd like to watch at what time and give it to her. And then they would sit outside, just outside the bedroom door, because they could look downstairs and see the TV and just watch TV from up above and right outside their room. Super creepy stuff. Oh, creepy. I'd be like, get your asses down here. Quit being so goddamn creepy. Right. How did they eat? Did they teleport their food from downstairs to upstairs with their mind and then eat it? What? You just, you, you teleport into my mind, Aaron, because when okay. dinner came around. Oh, shit. I know. The girls didn't eat with the family. Of course they didn't. Much little creepy girl. <laughs> they didn't like people watching them eat. Not at all. So they would often go into their room to do it. But when they're at school, they couldn't hide. They were in the lunchroom like everybody else. So they would sit as close as they physically could to each other. They would also eat in unison. So could you imagine just eating your lunch with your friends and looking over and just seeing two girls doing the same movements, eating the same thing? Oh. So another thing that they did in unison was walking. Step for step. They would walk together. And if anyone took notice to them, they would just stop walking and stare at the person who caught them walking in unison. And they wouldn't start walking until that other person left. Man, I got so many good theories about this. So as close as these girls seem to be, there is actually a lot of things that are going on under the surface. They said that they had no choice but to act in this way. They kept their own diaries. And both girls wrote about how they thought it would be good to separate them from each other so that they could work on eating and talking and feeling what they assumed it would be like to be their own person. So going back to that video, we're going to play this clip of the girls and what they wrote in their diary. We'll play that for you right now. It would be a good idea if we separate. I think one should go and one should stay here. We act stupid when we're together. Some people think we don't want to separate, but we want to, because it really is the best thing for us. It would be good if we separate. We both fight for the best things. We're both willing to lead our own lives, but when we're together, we just keep depending on each other too much. Just the walking, watching her walk to her lunch table by her sister, I have have theories as well, Erin. And it's like out of this world. Very interesting stuff. That's very, they're very odd. Holy smokes. So eventually their parents, Gloria and Aubrey, did separate them in hopes that it would help the girls gain their own personalities and freedom. And even though the girls had the same desire to do this, once they were physically apart, they both exhibited the same issues. They stopped eating, sleeping, and became catatonic. They even stopped dressing themselves. When they would become catatonic, they were still awake. They were just stuck, like frozen. They would stop walking and just sit there and kind of like rock. Like they felt like they wanted to move, but they couldn't. 
and then they'd slowly come out of it and, and move along. Since the girl's state worsened when they were apart, their family thought, it, let's bring them back together because this is really bad. And they were even given a course on how to learn to communicate better. Like they wanted this and it didn't help them at all. They just went right back into their bedroom and inevitably, after struggling with this for years, the girls became really depressed. The one time that these girls felt free, they wrote about it in their notebooks. They wrote down everything. That was like their escape anyways. But in 1981, they had loads of stories, thoughts, feelings that they had written down, and that they thought using this creative outlet could break them free. They even tried to get this published. They felt so strongly that they would make it. Finally, they have something to give them hope, something to strive for. Well, they were let down when their books didn't really grab anyone's attention, which of course didn't help their state of depression. That just made them retreat all over again. So when the girls were 16, they met another set of twins, two males from America, and they were quite the opposite to the girls, to June and Jennifer. These boys liked to party and let loose. Strangely, though, the girls actually started to do the same, and they talked to these boys. But just like girls at that age, they started arguing over the boys and creating a bigger divide between them. Though they were attached to one another and ultimately loved each other, they felt prisoner to the other. Truthfully, they didn't want to have to be by that June or Jennifer's side at all times. But as we talked about, previous attempts of separating them showed that they couldn't seem to live separately at this time. So Jennifer and June did actually fight one another. One time, Jennifer wrote in her diary how she tried to strangle June with a radio cord. Their behavior just showed how much they wanted freedom from each other. And after the American boys left, the girls decided they wanted to do something bad. Something big. So in October, they went to a local shop and they set it on fire. They wanted to cause as much damage as possible, is what they said. They were eventually caught for this, because like I mentioned earlier, they liked to keep a diary of everything. So June had actually written in her diary that they did it, and how it was the best day of her life. She said she would continue to do it until she got caught. She also included in her diary that, quote, maybe this will be the first Christmas I get to spend in jail and they both did end up going to jail that year. So while they were in jail, they were put together, but they fought each other. So of course, the jail being, you know, typical jail rules, they separated them, but the process repeated just as it had done in school. They became catatonic without the other there, not speaking or eating or anything. So then they put the girls back together to get them to start behaving more quote-unquote, normally, the girls hated each other at this point. They have had to spend their whole lives together and actually wished the other to be dead at this point. With jail doing nothing to help them, and they needed more direct attention, it was agreed upon that the girls get moved to Broadmoor Hospital. At this time, they were 19 years old and not happy about being told that they will have to live there indefinitely. So in this hospital, that would be the first time that the girls spent, like, an extended period apart. They separated them for two years and kept them in different wards, but they were able to write each other 
and other family members. The women did write back and forth to, to each other when they were in the hospital. In fact, one letter that Jennifer wrote to June, she told her that she knew she was going to die sooner than June would. The separation between the women actually led them to start hallucinating. And the hospital gave them tranks to try to make them better. They also diagnosed them with schizophrenia, which they didn't have, and gave them meds for that. So doing those two things gave these girls brain fog, but also allowed them to speak more to people. So because of these meds allowing the girls to talk more, they got excited because they thought, maybe we'll get out of here. Maybe we could live a more normal life now. But every time they went to the judge for their hearings, the judge would sentence them for another year or two in the hospital. And it's honestly more than likely because they were different. And he didn't want to send them back into society because they were unpredictable. So they just, he just said, you're in it again. You're going to repeat it again. So the girls were in the hospital from 19 to 29 years old. And just before they turned 30, they were getting transferred to a more lax hospital. Well, when Jennifer and June were in the process of their transfer, Jennifer actually started to feel sick and had pain all over her body. She even told June she knew she was going to die. Once the women got to their new hospital, they took Jennifer to get checked out, where she actually did end up dying on March 9, 1993, very shortly after getting there. She died of acute myocarditis, which is a sudden inflammation of the heart. There were no evidence of drugs or poison in her system. And to be honest with you, what she died of is not commonly fatal, especially for someone who's only 30 years old. So they're like, this is weird, okay? Well, June revealed that Jennifer had been acting strangely for about a day before their release. Her speech had been slurring, and she had said that she was dying. So after Jennifer passed away, June stayed in the hospital for another year. And according to her diaries, June, of course, grieved over the loss of her sister. But she also wrote how it actually empowered her to finally start living the life she had always wanted to live. The toxic chain had been released from her. June and Jennifer both knew, somehow, that one of them would have to die for the other one to truly live. So after Jennifer's death, June was noted saying, and this happened just a couple days after she died, that June was in a strange mood and said, I'm free at last, liberated, and at last Jennifer has given up her life for me. Wow. Yeah. Damn. So then on March 18th, 1994, June was finally released from the hospital. We're going to go to this clip and play it for you right now. It's going to talk about her release from the hospital. I feel that I'm living for her. This is what she would have wanted for me to go on living for her. Uh, every day I wake up and say to myself, well, there was one more day for me, but one, one more day for my sister as well. And I'm still alive. I feel that's a privilege, really. I mean, am I lucky or something to be still alive when she's gone? I thought, that, I thought I'd never get over her death, but it's made me 10 times stronger. So she ends up getting out. She's still alive today. Couldn't really find any information about her and what she's doing now. But 
she definitely seems like a different person. I, I mean, I, technically, that's the story of the Silent Twins. And, you know, something that I had noticed, like I mentioned, the 11s are constantly through this document. And I thought about, well, to me, 1111 is also a twin flame number. I don't think that these girls are twin flames, but those numbers still represent, to me, mirroring. And they were like this same soul trapped in two separate bodies and that they were trying to live this earth life but they were so not really meant to be here on this earth that I don't know if it was like a a prison sentence to them something they had done in the intergalactic worlds and they're like y'all are gonna you love each other so much I'm gonna make you live a lifetime where you literally cannot live without each other until one of Dang. you breaks free from this cycle of Earth. And then maybe that they combine back into one. I don't know. But the amount of I need to be with her, yet I don't want to be next to her. Their physical bodies required them to be by each other to function properly. That is so weird to me. And I've never seen another case like this, personally. They're aliens. I got that vibe, too, with how they walked. Everything's so methodic. AI robots or aliens are... At the beginning, I was thinking, okay, what if these girls had this, like, long prank? Unrealistic. But what if it was just, like, a prank for them? Like, they were like, hey, let's mess with these people and walk the same. And everybody makes fun of us at school. Let's play into it. Let's sit very close to each other and eat at the same time. And then when we get back to like when no one's around, we'll laugh about it. And I'm like, man, I'd be, I, I think that would be funny as shit if I had a mm-hmm. twin and was doing that, messing with people. I think that would be hilarious. But they had it. They had other things, too. And it's like at a point, how far do you take the joke? And that's why I'm like, they're not joking with people. So that led me to believe, were they part of some type of MK Ultra thing? like? brainwashing when they were young or was their mother injected with some type of experimental drug that it's adverse effect that she was unaware of that caused them to have this or maybe I don't know the possibilities are out there on this I mean in the 60s that was definitely MK Ultra time it was hmm and the dad worked as a like Navy pilot technician. So he was in the military. <sighs> that adds to the MK Ultra theory. So that that's what I would lean towards. Some type of MK Ultra type thing. Time frame fits. Dad in the military that fits. Excuse me, dad in the military that fits. I was thinking something more grounded. Alright, let's hear it, Dan. Some type of mental disorder. Social anxiety disorder. To the extreme. To the extreme, cause the walking, I noticed. I used to know a guy in uh, middle school who used to walk like that. He was very socially awkward. And we tried multiple times to try to interact with him and all that because I, I lived in a small town. Pretty much everyone knows everyone. But he was just, his anxiety was so bad that he walked slow, like super like upright and everything. Just walked slow, carrying his tray, sat down slowly and everything just it was like he was afraid to disturb anybody else with his presence 
So I think it was partly that. Then the whole her feeling free. I see it a lot where when people have twins, they make them wear the same outfits. They make them do the same things. So pretty much they're never doing something by themselves. Their own personality is not being recognized other than that they are a twin. And that's pretty much how it seems like they were raised as y'all got to do this together. You do this together. You're going to be around each other all the time and all that. And that's why I think they were thinking the only way that one of us will be able to move on is if the other one passes. Separating them is only temporary because afterwards they're just going to end up right back with each other. So I think as sad as it is that she feels free, it's because now she no longer will be with her sister, except, you know, in her heart and everything, but she won't be compared anymore. She won't be like, oh, you and your sister go do this. Y'all go do that. It's June. Go do this. Go be yourself. Even though you probably don't know how to be yourself since you've only been treated as a pair. Yeah. I didn't really read much about their family making them be twins, like forcing the identical identity on them. Um, I have sisters that are twins. They would hate me for not bringing this up if I'm talking about twin subjects. So, hey. Um, and I will say they have a very, very tight connection. Like if they could still be living together, they would. And we often talk about having a commune and a cul-de-sac where we all have our own house, but they're all connected with bunkers underneath and that we could just go in underneath and just go to each other's houses. But they are, they have like, I would call them weird quirks where they don't want to look different from one another per se. I mean, they have 100% their own personalities and are their own person, but like one of them won't get a tattoo unless the other one gets it in the same spot. Um, so neither, neither of them have any tattoos. But they do exhibit finishing each other's sentences and thinking the same things. But to be honest, I have that same exact connection with them as well. Like we are extremely close, but I don't think you have to have a, be a twin to have that kind of connection. But I, I do believe that my sisters have a extremely tight bond that would never get to the point of June and Jennifer by any means. But I could see how like, you could want to be just like your twin because, I mean, you freaking started this world with them right next to you, came out together. Now you don't want to, you may not want to separate your identity from them, but they do a really good job of being their own person. And they are opposites in a lot of things too, but they love, they just love each other so much. I love you guys. Dude, I think that's where it differs for a lot of twins because. Having, like, say, someone force y'all to be like each other, and then them, the twins themselves, choosing to be like each other, because that's their own will. But when you have someone making you dress like each other and all that, I think it has an effect on you. You got to dress like them. You got to wear the same thing. But if they're able to make that decision on their own, you know, I think it works out fine. They won't end up hating each other, like, oh, I don't want to be around them anymore, and all that. I know that my siblings did get dressed together the same like in all the pictures that we have growing up they're wearing the same outfits um and that was that it i mean i don't know that they were really old enough to make that decision that if they did or didn't want it 
But if I look at like any pictures of them from maybe eight and younger, they were in the same clothes, like overalls with a fucking sweater turtleneck underneath them. <laughs> um, God, those I know. Overalls are coming <laughs> back, man. I came across something interesting. Lay it on us. Uh, have y'all heard of Virginia and Grace Kennedy? They were twins that developed cryptophasia. I think I pronounced that right. Uh, that is a known phenomenon that only exists between twins where they create their own language that only the two of them can understand. Uh, so this Grace in Virginia speech sounded like nonsense from people listening, but it's an actually was a mixture of French, English, and German alongside some words that they'd created on their own. They could only understand it between each other. Um, they were diagnosed, so their parents took them to see a doctor, and they were diagnosed um, as developmentally, uh, developmentally disabled. And their parents said, okay, we aren't going to send them to school. Uh, they spoke this language until about the age of eight when doctors and other therapists started to work with them. They found out that the twins were actually, in fact, they had normal intelligence and that their lack of socialization uh, had influenced them to speak their own language. And this person said that June and Jennifer may have experienced something similar. So another weird thing that I found, I know you mentioned about them publishing their own book. So June uh, self-published a novel called Pepsi Cola Addict. And it is about a boy named Preston who's 14 who lives in Malibu with his widowed mother and sister. And he is literally addicted to Pepsi to the point that all of his thoughts and fantasies are focused on it. When he's not drinking Pepsi, it's, he's dreaming about it, even creating art and poetry based on it. It amounts to his religion. He is deeply in love with Peggy. But she dumps him after an argument over his Pepsi habit. His friend Ryan is a bisexual and desires him. His math tutor seduces him. And when he's sent to juvie after robbing a convenience store uh, because he's mesmerized by a crate of Pepsi, uh, he's molested by a guard. Preston choices and misfortune are chronicled to that distinctive Gibbons flair full of elegant metaphors, blah, 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 blah. Only five libraries are known to have it, but apparently bootlegged copies exist. That is a very odd book. I did see yes. that book, but I didn't, to be honest, read it, like the back to see what it was about. Weird. Remember, the twin that she was interested in was American. He's from Malibu. Wow. What if the widow was a sister? Her sister, and she killed her sister. To get with the guy that she wanted, robbing the convenience store might have involved the burning of the store that they took down. Um, maybe she secretly had a, a mindset of murder. Like, she was fighting these thoughts of wanting to cause harm. She dreamt about them. She was addicted to causing harm. But she never, she didn't really act on them until she got older. And maybe more on her sister than history's telling us. Yeah, I was going to say, definitely choked her with what, radio cord? I don't know which one choked too, but someone choked someone Jennifer with Jennifer choked June. Who wrote the book? Dang. June wrote the book? Uh, June wrote the book. Okay. 
Man, that is weird. Very Super. Weird. Thank you for bringing us that topic this week. Holy smokes. You're welcome, man. This is super, super interesting. Yeah, I really liked it. So thank you guys for listening. No, thank you for bringing it to us. Aaron, tickle my pineal gland. What do you have for me today? Well, my story today revolves around a woman named Aaron Valenti. Have either of you heard of her before? The name sounded familiar, but not enough to really spark anything. All right, so let me tell you a little bit about her. So Erin Valenti was a 33-year-old successful businesswoman. Uh, She graduated in business administration from Georgetown University. Now, she was the founder and CEO of Tinker, which is an app tech company in Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay, now this company Tinker that she made was a digital product development agency and venture studio. They invented, designed, developed, and scaled technology products built for iOS, Android, and the web. Basically, they make apps for other companies, and they scale them out. Now, before she created Tinker, this app company, she was the product developer uh, over everything at Overstock.com. She supervised a team of 250 engineers. Okay, so that's just a little bit of background on her, okay? So obviously she's smart, level-headed, all that good stuff. So a little over a year ago, on October 1st, 2019, Aaron flew from Salt Lake City to Orange County, California. There in California, she was going to a three-day workshop designed for business leaders. Aaron had been attending workshops, talking to individuals, and exploring new technologies and ideas for bettering her business. So she attended the workshop for three days. She then flew from Orange County to San Jose, California. She rented a car and drove to Monterey to attend another conference. After that conference, she drove to Palo Alto over the weekend to visit some former colleagues and some friends. Now, while visiting her friends, she excitedly told them about new business ventures and ideas that she was coming up with, because not only did she have like her own company, The Tinker, she was also like an entrepreneur. She was trying to think of like new ideas constantly. And her friends said she was just acting normal and she would normally do that and all that good stuff. So on Monday, October 7th, Aaron was scheduled to fly back home from California, but that never happened. This is where things get odd. So at around 2 p.m. on that Monday, she checked out late from her hotel in Palo Alto. Then at 3.30 p.m., she called her parents. Her parents said that she told them that she couldn't find her rental car. However, after a few minutes, she found it, but stayed on the phone with them. Aaron's parents said that she was sounding very strange, that she was talking extremely fast and almost acting paranoid of sorts. The next thing Aaron told her parents was, and I quote, It's all a game. It's a thought experiment. We are in the matrix. And then she hung up the phone. At 6.40 p.m., Aaron missed her flight back to Utah. 
After she missed her flight, her husband tried to call her multiple times. And around 10 p.m., she finally picked up the phone. Aaron told her husband that she was trying to figure out where she was and said that she was going to the airport, but she sounded a bit confused and wasn't acting like herself. She also mentioned how her rental car was low on gas, and then she hung up the phone abruptly on her husband. Around midnight, Aaron answered her phone when her mother called her. Aaron said that she was driving around because the GPS wasn't working, that she was driving through residential neighborhoods in South San Jose, and then hung up the phone. After that, her phone was shut off. The next day, Aaron's family uh, filed a missing persons report. And it was kind of frustrating for them because this was totally out of her character. Uh, and for them to file the missing persons report with the San Jose police, the San Jose police said, uh, we're going to categorize it as a voluntary missing, like she wasn't abducted. And her family, her mom and her husband was like, no, this is bullshit. She is not voluntarily missing. She got abducted or something happened. So the San Jose police was like, okay, okay, okay. So the next day on Wednesday, October 9th, the San Jose Police Department uh, unit was assigned to the case and they decided to send electronic bulletins to police agencies around the greater Bay Area. Later that evening on October 9th, Aaron was originally scheduled to be at the Woman Tech Awards where she was supposed to receive an award for the entrepreneurial excellence. However, of course, she didn't attend. On Thursday, October 10th, the San Jose police were called by a group of people who had found Aaron's rental car, which was only half a kilometer away from her last known location. So that tells you right there that the police didn't even look. So the police arrived at the vehicle and they opened it up. Inside of it, they found the body of Aaron in the back seat. She was dead. After a few days of investigating, the police said that there was no signs of physical harm on her body. There were no drugs in her system found and that there was no foul play. They said the cause of her death was reported as being related to natural causes following a acute manic episode. So that's the story. Now I got some strange facts that go along with this. Okay, so here's some strange facts. Harrison, who was Aaron's husband, is a psychologist. And he said that when she would go out of town for a business trip, every night she would call him and they would just talk. Like that was the relationship. She would call him and they would just chit chat every night. And he said that she, and keep in mind also, Aaron's mother was also a nurse and had been a nurse for a very long time. Both of them said that Aaron had no display or no diagnosis of any mental health disorders. And many people described her as being a very successful tech entrepreneur and a relentless businesswoman. And they called her a force for good. Okay. Her dad said that the police investigation into her death was described as a farce. The police did not submit a missing persons report until the day after her family reported it. And like we said earlier, the police described her situation as being voluntarily missing. Now, there's two more strange facts I want to talk about. So Aaron was a volunteer for Not For Sale, which 
is a advocate for anti-human trafficking initiatives. And she also investigated human trafficking in her spare time. She actually, in 2008, went to Uganda and participated in a humanitarian mission where she looked into human trafficking. So that's something else. The last strange fact I wanted to throw into this was that she was the second death of a technology CEO in the San Francisco Bay Area within a 30-day period. Now, what's the coincidence of that? The lifeless body of Tassar Ardi, who was 50, was the CEO of a web design company called ArtiNet. He was found dead next to his vehicle hours after being kidnapped from his home. So that's some strange facts around that. And I have a couple theories, but I want to hear what you guys think. Did you say that she worked for Overstock? So I have a theory around that because I dug into Overstock and I dug into the previous CEO and I got a whole thing about that. Well, as soon as you said human trafficking, my Wayfair tickled. So... Here's the thing about Overstock. I started to look into them and I'm like, okay, maybe this is not a rabbit hole. Maybe it is. And I went into it. So she previously worked for them, right? Well, Overstock recently had a former CEO who was there forever. His name was Patrick Byrne. And man, do I have a fucking story for y'all about him. Okay. So like I said, Patrick Byrne was the ex-CEO of Overstock. He went out in public and said that he was pushed out of the company by the quote-unquote deep state. But before leaving the company, get this shit, he did a press release on August 12th where he said that he helped the FBI's Clinton investigation and the Russian investigation operating under the belief that I, as in Patrick, was helping legitimate law enforcement efforts. He also claimed that he put the pieces together in mid-2018 and realized the investigations amounted to political espionage against the 2016 U.S. president candidates. So he was gathering information for the FBI to blackmail Hillary and Donald, and he said he put that together after he did all that. So it leads me to my theory. What if that has anything to do with Aaron's murder? Maybe somewhere that lies in within the scandal of Patrick being kicked out. Aaron could have been a quote-unquote whistleblower for this whole scandal, but she was found dead in a rental car, and the last thing she did was have a meeting with former colleagues, which one of them wasn't listed. Could that former colleague could have been Patrick? And then the police basically covered up a hit. Um, there was a narrative that was being pushed by the media for a little while um, regarding her death. And that narrative was that she drove by a casino where she may have gotten drugged up. I shit you not. Oh, my God. So it kind of seems like a shill narrative. Yeah. I mean, it definitely sounds like them trying to cover up what Aaron and Patrick found because if Aaron was sitting there working with human trafficking stuff 
And we've definitely dug into some presidents and some government officials who have been involved in that. And then Patrick finding information and all these dirty secrets on Hillary and Trump. They could have worked together to do a lot of damage to bring down the system. Well, that is what I was thinking. But then I'm like, well, how are they going to mysteriously murder her? I mean, it, it doesn't explain her calling her parents and her husband and acting strange and saying it's a thought experiment. We're in the Matrix. So that kind of leads me to my other theory. And it could be like both of those combined, both of these combined, which was this theory that I initially had was. So, you know how like all the famous tech people, the high up tech people have said that they've experimented with LSD to help their creative minds and it, it was considered a profound moment in their life. Um, maybe she did the same thing. And she responded horribly to it. This would explain her erratic behavior, her cryptic phone call. It, it wouldn't have been an overdose as much as a trip being too much for her body and mind to handle. Thus, her body gave out. But even then, I don't want to lean that way because I don't, I don't see that. But what if she did take LSD to kind of open her mind? I mean, Steve Jobs, for an example, he's the guy who created Apple, right? He's gone on record to say that he's loved it, he, that he's dropped acid more than 15 times from 1972 to 74 and had, had no words to explain how positive and life-changing it was for him. Um, another one is Bill Gates, the most richest successful tech mogul in history. In 1994, he gave an interview with Playboy magazine, which said that he did LSD, and it was the most significant change to his mind that helped him develop more creative thoughts and ideas. My thing is, what if she went to go meet these colleagues or whatever and thought it'd be a good idea to, hey, these are the most famous tech moguls. I, she was constantly looking for ways to be more creative, and, and she's an entrepreneur, and she's looking to go into all these conferences. What if they're like, hey, we got a way for you to do that. Take this LSD. She takes it. Right. And then she starts going fucking crazy. And then in the meantime, while she's going crazy, they offer a certain way. And then you have your, oh, she manic episode cover up. Did you say how she died? What they said? The official report for how she died was natural causes following an acute manic episode, which never in history someone has died of natural causes from acute manic episode except her the human trafficking thing is weird i mean exposing human trafficking caused her unwanted attention you know being a ceo of an up-and-coming tech company someone wanted her gone so i think either one of those she had some bad lsd or she got off by somebody or both that's just my personal opinion See, I was going with that she might have been offed, saying, we don't know who that extra person in that meeting was. Could have been pretty much like, hey, you know, Patrick used to work with us, give, feeding us information. Now that he's out of the CEO position, are you willing to work with us? And she was probably just like, no, I don't want to give you information. I don't trust you. I'm doing my own research and all that on human trafficking and everything. I don't want to give you information because I've seen what you do with it. Well, here's the thing. When Patrick was feeding that information to the FBI, that was a year before the 2016 election, right? 
So he was feeding information to the FBI, blackmail uh, on Hillary and blackmail on Trump to the FBI. And he didn't put two and two together. This was in 2019, a year before the election we just had. So maybe they came to her and was like, look, we need information on what you have on Biden and what you have on Trump. And maybe the FBI is the deep state and they gather this. They gather the, the blackmail to run this country and tell the president how, hey, this is how we run shit. And we got this on you. It was either that or in the meeting. They were just like, hey, we're all doing some LSD. It's going to help us fucking invent new shit. Do it. Then she had like a really bad trip. End up, I guess you could say, like going to like a panic mode. Heart and body just couldn't handle what was going through and body just failed. Which, I mean, I could see that happening, kind of, but very slim chance. But I mean, there are cases of that, I suppose. People having a really bad trip and I guess the body just starting to fail. Well, even then, they would still say something like organ failure or... Yeah. And... But they said that there was no drugs in her system found. So what I'm curious about is how long does LSD stay in your system? See, I was going to say that because just like the body in the bag, they're in Vegas. It's hot. Figure the heat being in the back of the car, probably windows were up, just getting all. Don't leave someone in a hot vehicle with windows up, you know, type thing. Um, Urine tests, two to four days, blood tests, six to 12 hours, hair up to 90 days. Well, you know they didn't pull a hair sample. Probably not. True. I'm thinking, like, I don't know. I kind of want to say, like, maybe kidnapped as well because she was acting paranoid and saying, like, cryptic things. True. It is weird. The whole situation is weird. Very. So we all brought weird theories this week, but good ones. Bizarre, mysterious. I loved them. Oh, yeah. For sure. I really liked them, too. I like how Dan and yours seem to go together in some weird way. Where there's yeah. some effery afoot. Mm-hmm. For sure. With some type of government. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's the end of the episode for today. We're going to roll into Hans is on the scene and then we'll roll into shout outs and then we'll roll into some announcements before we roll out. So if you're unaware of Hans is on the scene, it is where we have an on the field reporter who goes and talks to the public and gets their opinion on conspiracies. So we are going to play Hans is on the scene right now. Well, all right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's your boy Hans on the scene coming to you live. There's a lot of stuff that they don't tell us. I do know that. And I just, but as far as like define, the, like, like how, okay. how far do you get? I, I think that there's somebody pulling the strings. You think that there's somebody pulling the strings? Bigger and better with the money. Okay. I, I would figure it either be probably the Rockefellers or the, uh, Man, I can't remember what his fucking name is. Rothschilds? That's it. Do you believe in aliens? Oh, absolutely. There's there's too much abysk mm-hmm. not to have something besides us. Whether that be a freaking one cell moving to a whole ecosystem. There's something besides us. I know that. I know that with everything I, I have. Now, we're calling them aliens because we don't know what they're called. But yes, in some form or fashion, there is an, a, another life form besides us on our life, uh, besides this earth. Damn. That was like by far the best on the scene we've gotten this week. Hell. That guy was excited to talk about it. That guy was super excited to talk about the Rothschilds and aliens and the elite. I love the passion. That was beautiful. 
It was. Thank you for that, Hans. God, yes. Try to get another interview with that guy again if you see him again. You know, that kind of reminded me of a thought I had recently. And I think it was actually the message you sent on a, about our like soul fragments and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it made me think back and then it popped into my head how there's like, you say like there's different multiverses and stuff like that. And I just bought a brand new camera. I was outside trying to take pictures of stars and stuff. Which, that was a complete failure because I'm still learning. But it made me have this thought that all these different galaxies and stuff that we see, I believe them to be almost identical copies to our galaxy. To where they are just, we are part of a multiverse of, I think, of like a honeycomb. And each side of each little spot is a galaxy. And the fact that they're all almost identical, but, you know, different parts of our souls are in those different galaxies, living their lives and stuff, and believe, you know, how I talked about all our, like, our dreams and stuff, our memories and stuff being uploaded to, like, a cloud. So that's why we have different dreams of things that we don't remember and everything. But I was thinking, like, you could travel to these different galaxies if you can make it that far, to which you kind of go past the little membrane to the next galaxy, which you could get there, and which I don't know what would happen, considering... You know, one part of your soul is already there. I don't know if you'd merge or whatever. But I had that weird thought. I don't know if it makes any sense. It does. I like that, Dan. Your pineal gland is slowly starting to open. Yeah. It is. So do you think that you could, like, walk through the walls of these... If you're in a honeycomb that's isolated and you think, like, you're the only one that's there. But when you learn the ability to travel, you can walk through the walls of the honeycomb to go to the reality next to yours. And it's a forever growing honeycomb of realities. And you just... Exactly. It's like the fucking Scooby-Doo show. When you go through a door, you pop in another one. And then like you're constantly coming out of a door that's different to the one that you actually went through. Pretty much, yeah. Nice. I like that. Just a random thought I had. Oh, thank you for that. And thank you, Hans, for the on the scene this week. Excellent as always. Love you. Miss you. Hope you're doing great. Love you, Hans. So we do have one more audio clip from Hans. Since this is the last episode for season two, he kind of wanted to say something to everybody and make an announcement on his own. So uh, we're going to take a listen to that right now. You know, it's your boy, Hans, on the scene, signing off on season two. Hope to see you all in season three. And always remember, send them eggplant pictures to Aaron, them butthole pictures to Dan, them feet pictures to Anna, and you can send me them taint pictures on the Discord. It's your boy, Hans. See you in season three. Nice. 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 Yeah, boy. I like that. Yes. Send them chili rings. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Cut that. I don't want the chili rings. <laughs> I'd rather see boob pictures, Hans. Why are you giving me feet? I'd send me them titties. Yeah, like, what about the titties? No one gets those. What the hell? (laughs) You can just send me one. I'll still be happy. All right. Well, thank you for that, Hans. Now we're going to move to shout-outs. What shout-outs? Do do either of y'all have any shout-outs for this week? I have a couple. All right, hit him with us. Shout-out to Scottish Selleck. He just joined the Discord. He asked about a shout out. So here it is, buddy. And he actually gets a new puppy soon. It is a cockapoo, which he wants us to help name. It is a little female. Aww. So we'll have to help him, help him come up with a name for that. 
Shout out to Christopher, then Katie, Blakely, Poole, Sarah, and Haywood. Thank you all for messaging me on Facebook. You know, love the stuff y'all send. Always love, you know, the encouragement and compliments y'all give us. It's great. Love it. Much love. Nice. Yeah. Anna, what do you have for this week? Oh, man. I do have a decent amount, but I just wanted to make sure I gave some love before the end of the season. Um, so I want to shout out Powski. Somehow we've missed him on adding him on Discord, and I got it all taken care of, but he's been a strong listener since season one, so I wanted to make sure I send him some love. Thanks, dude. I hope that you're popping in on Discord and feeling the even more amount of love that sits there on Discord waiting for everybody. Uh, Priscilla, appreciate the conversation, lady, uh, and that you would like to go by Anna as your alias. It is a pretty damn sexy name. Uh, Tabor. Man, you got some good, kind words, and I've taken them to heart, and I really, really appreciate it. Oh, buddy, but this man, or this person here, unfortunately messaged us the day before the episode released, so we had already finished recording, but I just want to say, they say it's your birthday. It's my birthday, too, yeah. Lathe, happy freaking birthday. I'm sorry it's a week late, but... You know, we wanted to make sure that we put it on here. Uh, thank you for reaching out. I hope your day was freaking fantastic. And we were at least able to put a smile on your face on your amazing day. Happy birthday. I love you. Happy birthday, man. Hope it's a good one. Sorry it's a week late. Mm-hmm. But we got you. We got you. Better late than never. Uh, Cat in the Hat, welcome to Discord. So glad to have you. Isaiah and Skylar, told you I won't forget you. So here's your shout out. You guys are an amazing addition to the Discord, so thank you so much. Ooh, let me give a shout out to the queen of gifts, and that's my girl Jess, the esthetician. I love your conversation. You're freaking awesome. You make me smile every time I get on there, so you keep doing you, boo-boo, and I hope you feel better. Um, Andy, my heart goes to you, my friend. You are amazing. I love talking to you when I get on Discord. So you just keep being you because you are just perfect the way you are. Uh, welcome, lovely Jasmine. I know you got you just got started on there, but I hope that you're enjoying the family. You seem to fit in there. And Helid, you, you're defeating technology. You will be able to do Discord. You're doing amazing and keep it up. King T, the pictures you sent of the night sky were just gorgeous. I don't know if you guys know this, but the new iPhones have night mode, and they'll take pictures in the dark, and like the sky, you could actually see, it's really, really pretty pictures. So I appreciate him showing, sharing those with me. This is not an ad for Apple? Hell no. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> disclaimer, this is not an ad for Apple. No, Add it in there. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just going to hop on, dis- or on uh, Twitter real quick. So... At Andy Complains, giving us a shout out. Um, outstanding episode. So everyone needs to listen to this. It was our Anunnaki episode. That was a great one. I freaking loved that week. We did awesome. That was a fun one. Uh, Splinter said that they just listened to the JFK episode. They loved it. Keep up the great work, guys, and stay safe. You know, we're always trying to, friend. We have a new listener called Mark12. 
He said that he just happened to be looking for info on the Black Knight satellite and found our podcast. Loves it. He'll be joining Patreon soon so he can get the rest of our goodies. Much love from Georgia. Kneecaps for the win. Hashtag Bigfoot2020. Yeah, kneecaps. So now we have Spacely Sprocket, man. Appreciate the message on there. He said, yo, guys, thanks for the shout out on the podcast. That was a super nice surprise. Y'all rock. Keep up the great work. Nice. New listener, Lucia Boy, said just found our podcast before the drive home from work last night, and they love it. And then Cam Schnee, you need to get back on Discord. You've been silent. But... She was saying that she wanted to know where we, she can get a past life reading and who does them. Um, oh God, I love her. She said, embrace the woohoo and noodles and chili. That's my girl. Yes. So if you want to look into doing past life readings, go to DoloresCannon.com and look at where it says, like, find a practitioner. And you can put in the state that you live in and then... You'll see anyone from level three down to intern. I chose an intern. Um, so they do the first 25 free or donation. Um, I gave a donation for my service with her. Uh, it was absolutely phenomenal. I learned so much about myself and explains a lot of why I do the things I do in this lifetime. Um, even for someone who has trouble meditating, I was able to go through this process and receive a lot of information. So depending on the person in your area, that's who's going to do them. Uh, just communicate. Reach out to them. Send a couple emails out. I sent seven out and only three got back to me. But I know the woman that I chose was exactly meant for me. So uh, yeah, DoloresCannon.com. Do some research on there. QHHT sessions are what they are. So. Um, thank you guys all for all the love on Twitter, on Discord. I freaking love all of you. Like, seriously, my heart is full of love. And I hate technology, but I get on there because I love you guys that much. <laughs> so thank you. Yep. Thank you all uh, for all your love over this past season. As you know, like we mentioned earlier, this is the end of season two. We will be back, though, for season three and be on the lookout for an announcement for season three that will be dropping here pretty soon. We're going to talk about like what you can expect in season three, the date when it's going to be released and some other information as well. So, again, I just want to thank everybody for joining us this season. If you're missing us through this short break, you can always go to our Patreon and sign up for five bucks a month and you can get all the extra episodes that we have made there and we're also going to be pumping out ep episodes on patreon uh or during our break so those won't stop just the regular episodes are going to be put on hold for a little bit until season three so this is our, our farewell for the time being all right so uh, do y'all have any farewells you want to say any goodbyes before we load up and shoot off into outer space i mean this has been an amazing season. I know it's my first one, a part of TOT3K, but I have loved the community, the vibe, learning so much information. My own eyes have been wide open through all this season. So I'm so looking forward to season three. 
And we've been writing down your suggestions all season. So we'll be sprinkling those throughout as well. But thank you guys for being the best family that I could ever imagine to be a part of this. I love all of you genuinely from the deepest parts of who I am. You guys all touch me in the way that I've always imagined. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> but nice. really though, I, nice. I do. I love you all for real. Thank you for making my days brighter and just being amazing. Keep spreading love and kindness and stay lifted, my friends. Just want to say that season two has been a blast. I loved it. Loved the topics. Discord has just been amazing. Meeting, just meeting all the Patreon listeners and everything. It's just been a blast just finding out who they are and pretty much finding out how much of like minds we have. It's a great community. It's fun. But I'm look, definitely looking forward to season three with all the suggestions that everyone has sent in. And hopefully y'all keep listening and join us as well. Yep. So I want to thank you all for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. Every single one of you is amazing. Thank you for joining us every single week. Thank you for your love and your energy. We're sending it right back to you. So uh, one quick thing, Dan and Anna, hop in your chairs. All right, you in your chairs. All the presets are ready to go. Mm-hmm. Set. Okay. All right. So with that being said, Dan and Anna, you want to roll us out of season two? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you're not alone.